Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Seabrow. Thank you to Five Towns Central for sponsoring this show. The United States Navy is the largest and most powerful Navy in the world. The U.S. Navy trains and organizes to supply combat-ready naval forces to win wars when necessary and also maintains security and restriction to protect our country. If you've ever wondered why it is possible and whether it is possible to remain orthodox in the Navy, today you will get the answers from our guest, Eric Gutman. Instructor Eric Gutman began his scientific career as a research assistant for NASA at the age of 17. We don't just have just anyone on this show. I mean, this is, this is big. By age 21, Eric was a research scholar at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, a nuclear weapons lab in Northern California, and subsequently he received his undergraduate degree in applied physics from Columbia University with concentrations in optics lasers and nuclear physics. After working as a geophysicist in the oil industry, Eric received his graduate degree in physics from the University of Chicago, where he specialized in rel relativity and cosmology, and as a graduate research at the Kavli Institute for Cosmological Physics, theoretically predicted interactions between ordinary and dark matter. Upon receiving his honorable discharge from the United States Navy, Eric joined the faculty of Kaplan Test Prep and Admissions and soon became one of the company's most popular instructors in Chicago. Kaplan students would later rank Eric higher than any other uh, a GRE SAT faculty member in the entire New York, Washington, D.C. region. This is a position he would hold until leaving the company to found the best test prep. Eric was the lead writer of a GRE course for one of the country's largest test preparation companies, recently authored a second GRE course for the best test prep, and continues to provide instruction for the SAT, ACT, GRE, and, and GMAT. Around his busy schedule of serving as the best test prep's chief executive officer, Eric is an active member of Mensa and the Columbia University Alumni Representative Committee, for which he interviews students, not his own, for admission to Columbia. Wow, that was that was long, but it doesn't it doesn't represent uh, <laughs> the true essence of Eric Gutman. Eric, welcome to the Definitive Wrap. Thank you very much. What an, what an honor it is to have you on this show. Likewise. I was going to start with the uh, old cliche, what is a nice Jewish boy like you doing in the Navy? But um, in all seriousness, why did you join the Navy? So that is a question, both of those questions I've gotten many times before. Um, so I joined post 9-11. There were a few reasons I wanted to join. Some were selfish and some were selfless. On the quote unquote selfish side, um, I felt that there were many characteristics that one can get from the military that one cannot get from a classroom. 
um, uh, mental fortitude, physical fortitude, um, honor, uh, the feel of being part of a mission greater than oneself. Um, all of that came from serving in the military. On the selfless and, um, you know, 9-11 had happened. This was a few years, this was a few years after, but um, I was young, I was idealistic. I wanted to do something very physical while I was still very young. And so putting it all together, I, I wanted to serve. I knew I, knew I def definitely wanted to serve in a military and it turned out to be the U.S. military that I ended up serving. Mm -hmm. So what was the most contributing factor in that decision? So um, I wanted to be in a combat community and um, I wanted to, and I had become a very strong swimmer during college. So I put those two together. Um, and uh, for the types of communities that I was uh, aiming for, uh, one needs to speak the language fluently. And so the American military was the more conducive to that. Um, and having been through the training, I can vouch that you need to speak fluently. So um, uh, yeah, so that was what, what drove me to the US Navy. Mm -hmm. How long did you serve? That's a complicated question. Um, the reason why it's complicated is that I had to train before I went in for the type of position I was, I was going for, but I also, uh, went to graduate school in the middle. So it really is complicated. The short answer though is five years. Mm -hmm. So how concerned are you about domestic terrorism? Um, you know, domestic terrorism is something that never goes away. Um, it it uh, is an ever-looming threat. Um, we have, you know, the Department of Homeland Security, that's what DHS is for. Uh, the, the military's involvement was to go overseas and strike them where they are, strike them on their home turf, on their home territory, so they can't, so they can't strike us here. Um, now that the wars have ended, uh, it's really up to DHS, um, but in collaboration with other agencies, and that was why one of the things I mentioned was the work I did in Livermore, really, um, the, the whole federal government is on the same team. Mm -hmm. So while you were serving, um, what was going on during that time in the world? So there were two When wars. When did you serve? Like what, what was the period of time? Uh, what was the year you served? And what was going on in the world at that time? Time frame was 2005 to 2010. There was Operation Iraqi Freedom, which was obviously the Iraq War. There was Operation Enduring Freedom, which was the, Af the war in Afghanistan. Um, there, was, uh, there was action everywhere. There was danger everywhere. Um, you know, you don't, you don't put on the uniform unless you want to, to go to it. Um, and so it was, it was absolutely wartime. In, in fact, um, some of my instructors commented, on how we, meaning, you know, the trainees at the, at the time were coming in during a time of war. Many of them, the older ones, had come in during peacetime. So it, it is very different. And now, of course, we're back to peacetime. Wartime and peacetime are very, very different, and they, um, they carry very different experiences. Are you allowed to tell us where you were deployed? So that was actually one of the items I listed uh, to, uh, to avoid. Okay. 
So do you come from a military family? Like, how, how does this even begin? You know, um, I mean, they're little boys, you know, they like to play with with, um, you know, with little army, army uh, toys. But, you know, how does this how does this begin? So I do actually come from a military family in a sense. It wasn't every generation. It skipped my parents' generation. But I come from a very, very American family. My family has been in the United States since the 1880s. Um, and my great uncles served in the Navy. So there is there is legacy there. Um, and I knew um, from the time I was young and idealistic, I knew and very pro-America. Obviously, I come from a very American family. I knew I wanted to serve. Um, as you alluded to earlier, I was fully from the entire time I was in. Um, and, um, you know, it, it wasn't something that really deterred me at all. Um, I, um, I didn't focus on being Jewish. I focused on being a good warrior who happened to be Jewish. And in fact, I got a lot of respect for it. Um, as long as one, you know, stays true to one's beliefs and doesn't do it as a hobby, but is consistent about it. People respect the consistency. Um, you really do get a lot of respect for it. And I remember an RDC, which is the Navy's version of drill sergeant, uh, came up to me. The, the chaplain had sent out a base-wide email that it was Tisha B'Av. Oh. And so the RDC came up to me and wished me a happy Tisha B'Av. I, oh. I didn't have a heart <laughs> to tell her. It's not that kind of holiday. Uh, but uh, you really do get a lot of respect for it. Uh, the chaplain and I were learning Rambam on base on Sunday mornings. Like there's, you know, if you're, if you're focused, uh, things can happen. Right, right. So what are the qualifications to join the Navy? It depends on, on what you want to do. Um, and it also depends on how well they're doing with their recruiting. Uh, when they have a more difficult time recruiting, like now, uh, due to the current uh, uh, climate of the country, which is another conversation, they're having a very difficult time recruiting. So they're lowering their standards and they will accept more, more individuals. When more people want to serve, they can be more selective. So you're saying so, they're having a difficult time recruiting? Currently, no, yes. They're the why, why is that? A lot of it, a different conversation, but a lot of it has to do with the wokeism that's affecting the military, the lack of morale that ensues from it. They're having an extremely difficult time. Uh, they're missing a lot of, a lot of margins. Uh, I'm sorry, a lot of quotas. They're, they're having a very hard time. So now they've lowered the standards. When I was in, the standards were a bit higher. Um, you know, you have to be physically in shape. You can't have asthma right. or or any or any issue like that. Um, you also have to be able to be yelled at, and you have to be able to follow orders um, under duress. You need, um, you need tough skin. Yes, you do. That was a, that's really what boot camp is. Um, or uh, it, it is a it is a um, it is a rite of passage, and uh, those and and. About, I would say, 90% make it. It's one of the easier schools that you go through, mm -hmm. but it is a rite of passage. And those who cannot take stress or orders or being yelled at generally do not make it through. Right. So do they make you go through psychological um, testing? Do they, just, do they want to see whether you're emotionally, mentally fit? That's a great question. For um, boot camp, they do not. Um, for higher level schools like special warfare, they do. You take a psychological assessment. Mm -hmm. So did you need to take a psychological test? I did take you a did. psychological assessment. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So can you tell us about your experience being Orthodox? How did it work with kosher food, davening, et cetera? 
So again, that kind of goes to what I was saying earlier. Um, you know, when I was in, there, were, there was a, a soldier at Fort Bragg who got into a fight with his chain of command because he wanted to learn Flemish while standing on watch. I think learning Flemish is great, but he was in the U.S. Army. That's not how it works. Even in the Israeli army, you can't just learn Flemish when you need to be on watch. You want to be a good warrior, a good soldier, a good sailor, a good Marine. You want to be a good warrior who happens to be Jewish, and people will, people will respect you for it. So, so how did I, it- I, didn't make, I didn't make a fuss about things. Right. So I had, you know, I had kosher MREs, which are meals ready to eat. You know, they're okay. They're fairly disgusting, except on Pesach when, when they're not allowed, when you can't use chametz as fillers, the food is all real. So, uh, so uh, the Pesach ones are good. Otherwise they're disgusting, but you, you don't go in for the food, you know? No, you, well, of course, well, you don't go in for the food, but you still need nourishment. So were yeah. they TV dinners? Was there a separate kosher, kosher kitchen? How did it? work for food so when i was active or when i was when i was deployed um i had mres which are shelf stable meals oh. i used them for protein and i supplemented them with things from the kitchen i could eat and before eating anything from the kitchen um in fact before even shipping out i told my recruiting office that i wanted to be put in touch with an Orthodox Jewish chaplain, because oh. I knew that Shilohs, which are unfamiliar to civilian rabbis, are going to come up in the yeah, military. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And so they first put me in touch with some rabbi at the Naval Academy who started telling me that if I don't eat the pizza, I'm going to feel left out. Oh. So I said, no, I said, I said, that's not the right chaplain. I said, yeah, I need to put me in touch with an Orthodox Jewish chaplain. And they said, okay, we'll do it. I said, I said, I don't think you understand me. I said, I'm not shipping out unless you put me in touch with an Orthodox Jewish chaplain. The next Hi. day, this rabbi calls me and um, I was able to ask all my shallows to him, you know, what I can eat, where I can eat it. And um, it was only for those circumstances. Right. And because of that, um, because of that, you know, now that I'm a civilian, um, I don't have the liberty to to uh, you know eat from like a you know like uh, uh, like uh, some of the, some of the of the I was given at the time do not apply anymore. So it actually ended up making me more mocked for interesting. Uh, for well, and what about Shabbos? How did that work? Shabbos works exactly the same way it works in Sahal. Um, when you are deployed, uh, you are it's seven days a week. Um, you try to minimize what you can do. Uh, you try to minimize what you do on Shabbos, but it is entirely pikuach nefesh at that point. Uh, right. Whether, you know, we are in Sahal or whether in the U.S. military, it's entirely pikuach nefesh at that point. When you're not deployed, um, it's a regular Monday through Friday job unless you have duty on the weekends. Um, so it's actually not so different from being a civilian. Right. Um when we spoke on the phone, you said that you did some post uh, 9-11 research. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, well, <laughs> to a point. Um, Whatever you can share that's, um, you yes. know, that's so, not top secret. <laughs> so I was, I was in Livermore. Um, Livermore and Los Alamos are uh, nuclear weapons labs. They're the two main uh, nuclear weapons labs of the country. Um, they don't generally deal with the design. Los Alamos is the more famous one. Um, I was in its sister laboratory, which was, uh, in, which was created by Edward Teller, a Jewish, uh, physicist, of course. Um, it was meant to compete with Los Alamos and it is essentially 
one square mile of nothing but weapons. It is just, if it's not a weapon, it's not a Livermore. Uh-huh. And so I was there uh, doing what's called a gamma ray spectroscopy on uranium 235. So uh, U-235 is the primary component of nuclear cores that go into warheads and uranium and plutonium. And um, uranium is one of the two, uranium and plutonium. And U-235 is obviously therefore studied extensively because it is the isotope that um, constitutes uh, weapons-grade uranium. Mm -hmm. And I was examining the gamma ray spectrum um, gamma rays are similar to X-rays. They are rays that are part of the electromagnetic spectrum, only they are higher energy than X-rays. So X-rays are very high energy, yeah. which means that they, they have very high frequencies, but very small wavelengths, which is why X-rays are able to permeate through flesh and through muscle and tissue and, and, hit, and just create an image of bones. Right. Gamma rays are even higher energy, which uh-huh. means that their wavelengths are even smaller. And so with a gamma ray, you wouldn't even get a picture of the bones. They would go through the bones also. They would, you would get nothing in your phone if we were to use gamma rays. You would also create all kinds of health issues because they're so high energy. But mm-hmm. essentially, if, if a terrorist were to... Now, again, this is not official reporting. I asked my superiors what the research was for. They didn't tell me. So then I, asked, and then I started taking guesses. And I'll never forget the conversation that they had with me. They said, you're a bright young man and you can easily end your future here early by asking too many questions. <laughs> so I, I, I stopped asking. In other words, about, ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. Everything <laughs> is need to know. Everything is 100% need to know. So, but I did guess on my own. And that's that, you know, if someone were to try to import, here's where terrorism comes in. If someone were to try to import a nuclear bomb, even just, you know, in an IED, an improvised explosive device, not not a, a high quality one, but just one that, say, God forbid, a terrorist would try to import. He would most likely encase it in lead because lead is non-radioactive and it's very good at keeping in um, uh, electromagnetic waves. That's mm-hmm. why if you ever go for an X-ray, you were given an apron that He's is lined right. with lead. apron, right. Exactly. So um, they would most likely put the bomb uh, in a case of lead. X-rays are not going to permeate through the lead. Gamma rays will. They're high enough energy to get through. That's and so interesting. I, I, had a, I had a feeling that the research was for, uh, was for that purpose, was for radiation detection detection of quote unquote a dirty bomb an ied and, and you know an amateurish nuclear bomb wow so in order to just to give a little more background in order to in order for a radiation detector to pick up such an ied the detector needs to know what it's looking quote unquote know what it's look what to look for right in order for it to know what to look for we need to know what the gamma ray spectrum of u-235 even looks like and the last time it had been done was in the 1970s. And since then, we came the advent of high-purity germanium detectors and much better technology. And so we were taking another look at it using the technology, the newer technology that was now available. That's fascinating. Wow. I, 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 I'm, I'm speechless, and it takes a lot to get me that way. You know, everything <laughs> sounds harder until you know how to do it. <laughs> right. Um, 
Did your training in the U.S. Navy influence your current career with both adolescents and, and adults? It, it influenced it a lot. Um, a very common question I get is, what is the connection? How did you go from the military to standardized test preparation? Uh, the, the, well, I was going to ask that question, but I'm, I'm glad <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. One, one of the, yeah, well, it's a very common question. And, um, you know, military, of, working with kids, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, our flagship uh, courses actually are with 20 and 30 somethings or with adults, but the concept is entirely, is entirely the same. The, um, it did happen by accident. So I want to put that out there entirely. Like many things in life, it was completely by accident, but there's absolutely a connection. And that's that. Um, US well, we do know, we do know as Orthodox Jews, we know that there's no accident. Everything is meant to be. Uh, yeah. So I guess one can say it was Bichette. Um, <laughs> right. there, um, the connection is that the, uh, the training of U.S. Navy SEALs is predicated upon the principle that every human is every, uh, or in the case of SEALs, they're, they're men. Every man is capable of a hundred times what he thinks he is. Um, I remember the first or one of the first Navy SEALs I trained under, Jack Walston. He was with Team Four. Um, I remember him, you know, yelling at us how people say they're giving it their 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 all. They're giving a hundred percent. They don't even know what a hundred percent is. And um, when one is pushed to dig deep and to really access his or her potential, you can't ask someone for something he or she doesn't have. Right. But what you can do is you can latch on to 100% of what that person does have and squeeze all of it out of them, push them to reach their potential. That is what Navy SEAL training does. It pushes people to, it pushes men to, to the limits of human capability. And what we humbly do in our company is we push people to do the same only intellectually instead of physically with standardized test preparation. People are much more capable than they realize. They are able to attain much higher scores than they, than they think they can. What you, you I remember a, um, you know, a uh, uh, student from years ago wanted to go, uh, she was applying to graduate school at Columbia and she paid, got, she found some tutor from another company and she, they were gal pals and they would go to coffee together and it didn't work. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, and then she found me and, um, and, and essentially, uh, you know, we got her in. Um, one doesn't help. Uh, what, you don't help people with bread and circuses. You help them by giving them a good kick in the rear. And that is exactly tough love. Tough love. That, is, that is what Navy SEAL training is predicated upon. And that is what our training is, is predicated upon. We push people to reach their, the limits of their potential. We push people to reach their potential. And I'll tell you something. When you do that with people, they're happier in the long run yes. because yes. there is a very wide range of human potential. There's just a very wide range of human potential. You could take the same person who's sitting in his parents' basement playing video games, and you can put that same person into a high-intensity situation, be it a war zone, be it working for a company, whatever the endeavor happens to be, and all of a sudden, 
that person's day will be much brighter and he'll feel much better about himself right. because he's right. reaching his potential. That is essentially what we do. And look, has it stopped, you know, and just tying this into terrorism, has it stopped anyone from going out and committing an, an act of domestic terrorism? I don't know. But hopefully, oh, I, I, think, I think you could. <laughs> if we can reach everybody, per, perhaps so. Uh, you know, hopefully just in our own small way, we can, you know, we can, re- for the people we do reach, we can push them to reach their potential so they lead happier, more productive lives. And it sounds cheesy, but that's really no, what no, our- No, it's not cheesy about. at all. Can you shed some light on this based on your background? Um, why do you think we are seeing an increase in adolescent and young adult crime, particularly, particularly school shootings? Yeah, I, I think it's because it's, oh, I'm sorry, did I cut off your question? I uh, don't want to. No, 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 no. I no. I I finished yeah. the question. I, you know, it's Excellent. based on your background, but yeah. you know, we're seeing a, a very strong increase in in young adult crime, adolescent crime, particularly school shootings, and it it bothers me to the extent that we, we've always had crime, uh, but it's increased more so presently. Why do you think yeah, that is? I, I, I think it's because. I think it's because of the exact opposite approach. You know, you don't you don't make people happy by giving them bread and circuses. You know, we live in a society now where people's main thrill come or adolescents' main thrill comes from, I don't know, showing their clothes or their outfits, being self-absorbed. But that doesn't and then and then complaining about how what victims they are and how the, the tough lives they've led. That doesn't bring happiness. You know, in the moment, it might feel good that 100 people like your clothing or whatever other momentary rise they might get. You know, oh, you're such a victim. We feel so sorry for you for Mm. being born into this age or whatever excuse that they have. But ultimately, that doesn't bring happiness. What brings happiness, you know, Aristotle actually, come to think of it, equated happiness with the state of activity. You know, what brings happiness is the state of activity, is the state of being productive, the state of reaching one's potential, you know, entering whatever the or or, or leaving whatever the the endeavor happens to be like a champion. There there was a a middle school, I think, uh, in Virginia that was, uh, you know, stating how they they want to get to know students just by who the students are, not by the students' accomplishments. We respectfully disagree. In other words, you can't coddle today's uh, kids. It's what's causing the problems, in my in my opinion. It's what's causing the problems because coddling will only go so far. And when you know, when all the coddling doesn't make a difference anymore, that's when they're left with whatever they have inside that that drives them mm-hmm. to to what you were talking about. Wow. Eric, what would you say was the best part of being in the Navy? Best part of being in the Navy was definitely the evolutions. Um, it was not the bureaucracy. There is okay. a part of the military that the public doesn't see. It is a bureaucracy gone wild, um, which is w- the primary reason I end up I, I, I left the Navy as opposed to being a career naval officer. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uh, my favorite uh, parts of the Navy were the evolutions, were the operational aspects of it. Um, as opposed to the paperwork. So do you recommend that uh, young people join the Navy? Do you, do you tend to do that? 
you know, I, I, um, I feel military service or at least national service, you know, for, uh, for, from girls in Israel, um, gen really builds character like almost nothing else can. Um, it's, it's about being, as I said earlier, it's about being part of a cause that is greater than oneself. And we're living in an age that is the exact opposite of that. You know, people on social media feel it is all about themselves. It's all about well, them. You know, yeah. how many followers they have, how many likes yeah, they get. Yeah, that's right. How many, how many likes they get to a post? To a post. It is the di it is diametrically opposed to being part of something greater than oneself, being part of a greater cause. And I I and you know, will be so bold as to suggest that being part of a cause greater than oneself will in the end bring more happiness and a greater sense of fulfillment than trite um, uh, adventures on social media that are more um, self-absorbed. Well, that's a great lesson for all. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Um, there are a few ways. Um, okay. We have... Our, uh, my company's website um, has a contact us page. Um, we also have a toll-free number. Um, I can also, uh, or you can leave contact information with your podcast. Um, there is a, there is, you know, I say this a lot. I say this to every new employee I bring in. Yes, there's, you know, there's a, a monetary component to what we do, but we, it, our jobs are really about helping people. And, you know, it's really, um, I, I couldn't do a job that I didn't believe in. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Most of my waking hours, I think a lot of people couldn't do it. I know well, you you're very idealistic you well. and honorable. So that I know you well enough, Bela, you couldn't do a job that you didn't believe in. We, we're really, we really are. We're about helping people. And so I, I mean, I was just on the phone with a, with a student a couple of days ago, um, a senior at Barnard, um, I don't even think she's going to become a client of ours, but she was uh, nervous about her GRE. The GRE for graduate school is actually our, our flagship course. SAT and ACT um, is a very large um, part of what we do, uh, just because more students go to college than to graduate school. So we do SAT and ACT all day, every day. Right. But GRE is actually our flagship course. And th that's those are the students who are in their 20s and 30s that I was referencing earlier. Mm. Um, this was a, a, a senior Barnard. I don't think she's even going to become a client, but she was nervous. She had all kinds of interesting issues surrounding her preparation for GRE. And, you know, I still spoke to her for 30 minutes. I mean, it really is, you know, um, you know, once you once you get going, once you get focused in in the mission, then everything else just follows. So. Uh, you know, we're always happy to help people, even if they have no interest in becoming our clients, we're happy to help people with whatever questions that, you know, we can answer for them. Great. Eric, thank you for joining us today on the definitive wrap. It was a, a true honor. It's an honor being with you, Bela. It really is. I've known you for a long time and I, I definitely mean that when I say it. Thank you to Five Towns Central and thank you to our audience for tuning in. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.